If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And guess what? It's free. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Our stories are what make us unique, but they're also what connect us as human beings. It's time to stop talking and start listening. This is You Talk, I'll Listen with Shannon Chapman. There's an issue that has been debated for years and is really in the news now because the state of Texas has ruled that it's illegal after six weeks. Yep. This week, our topic is abortion. My guest this week, Ashley, has agreed to share her experience with this topic. Now, people are very black and white on this issue, so I challenge you to listen with open hearts and minds, no matter what your stance on the issue is, because that's what this show is all about. It's the title, You Talk, I'll Listen. My goal with this show is not to make you think like me or like my guest, but to create understanding and empathy. Ashley, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for asking me to be here. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you grew up. Sure. So I'm from New York, born and raised uh, on Long Island. And I grew up really close with my mom and my sister in my house. And then my dad's side of the family lived on the West Coast. And I grew up in a culturally Jewish family. Um, I wouldn't call us super religious, but we followed the cultures, the food. Uh, We're big Jewish food eaters, (laughs) bagels specifically. Grew up super, super close with my mom, who really instilled I think the majority of my values and morals, but had a really happy, positive upbringing and childhood, really close with my family, good friends, surrounded by good people. I was in a predominantly white, not Jewish area growing up. But after my childhood, I moved um, after through high school, I went to Miami for college. And then moved out to L.A. for a little while because I am a sun chaser. And because I'm so close with my family, my mom, my sister, I ended up back here in New York where my sister was starting a family. And I knew I would want to be super involved. And I knew that when I had a family, I would want my mom and my sister super close by so that they could be just as involved in my family's life. Getting pregnant has been a journey for you and your husband. What struggles have you faced with that? You know, it's crazy because 
I never grew up thinking this was going to be a struggle. You see people get pregnant and you see people have babies and that's what you expect is going to happen to you. And from the time I was, I couldn't even speak. I was holding my baby dolls. I had my children's names picked out. I mean, I have lists upon lists in my childhood home, in my home now, probably in other places and other people's homes of my child's names. And I, I just had always had a vision of being a mom. And my husband and I started trying casually. We were really basically saying we're not not trying because we didn't expect that we would really have to try. My husband also has a 12-year-old son and didn't have any issues getting pregnant with his ex-wife. Has a very healthy, beautiful, happy 12-year-old son. So we started and after the first three, four, five months, we were like, okay, maybe we should be more diligent about trying now. And that's when we started tracking my ovulation and my cycles. I then started moving to using ovulation strips. And then I went to my doctor who then sent me to, sorry, that is my, my child at the moment. <laughs> so yeah, my doctor sent me to a fertility specialist, which I never imagined I'd be at. We did all different types of testing, some painful, some super simple, some were just blood tests. My husband went through all of his testing and we were told that there was nothing wrong, which was a great thing to be told, but also a really frustrating thing to be told because there's nothing wrong. There's no problem to fix. So it just wasn't working. We have what was called unexplained infertility, which is one of the most common types of infertility. Um, so we started going through fertility cycles, um, specifically IUIs, which is intrauterine insemination. It is less invasive than IVF. It's basically a medicated procedure where you take a medication for a week and then you give yourself a nice old shot in your stomach and then you go into the doctor's office where they inseminate you with my husband's sperm and they time it so that you're hitting it where you're ovulating and they make you super ovulate so that you potentially produce more than one egg. So you actually have a chance for multiples when you're trying through IUIs. And we went through multiple rounds of that and had no luck, um, which is really frustrating and disheartening. There's that two-week wait in between when you have the IUI and then when you're supposed to find out when you're pregnant. So the whole two weeks, you're just like wondering what's happening. What are you feeling? Am I feeling any symptoms? Ooh, I might, I might be pregnant. I feel something. Um, and a lot of anxiety. And then just to find out that it didn't work and I'm not pregnant and now we have to do it again. And each round is a few thousand dollars. So it was really taxing financially, emotionally, physically. And we put it on pause because it was really expensive and it was emotionally getting to me and um, we needed a break. And this was also through COVID. And my anxiety level, I, I do suffer from anxiety disorder, was just at like an all-time high. And we put it on pause and lo and behold, <laughs> that pause helped us get pregnant naturally, which is actually 
very common, supposedly, when you stop trying, it works. So I found out in February of this year that I was pregnant the day after Valentine's Day. How far along in the pregnancy were you when you made the choice to abort the pregnancy? And why did you decide to do that? Yeah, uh, I was pretty far along, actually, in the pregnancy when something went wrong. Everything was fine. We did all of our initial testing, um, which tests for different chromosomal abnormalities, just things that could be wrong in the pregnancy that would deem it not a viable pregnancy. And we passed through all of those with flying colors. We waited a long time to tell people that we were pregnant because it had taken us so long. We didn't want to get our hopes up. We didn't, we were just at that point, we were like, you know what, at least we know I can get pregnant. And that in itself was a relief. So finally at 18 weeks, I announced that I was pregnant to my friends and family, which was so exciting. And then a week and a half later, I went for my first anatomy scan, which is an ultrasound where it's really in depth and they look at every single part of the baby. They make sure that they have all their limbs and their toes and their fingers and everything's in the right place. And that looked okay. And then we saw our ultrasound tech right on the screen, UC question mark. And we didn't think anything of it. We hadn't done this before. And we just said, does everything look okay? And she said, you know, the doctor will look at the pictures and get back to you and let you know. So we didn't really expect anything was wrong at that point. We figured it was all normal. And about a day later, I got a call from the doctor's office saying they see something on the umbilical cord that they just want to check out. It could be a cyst. It could be a blood clot. It could be a tumor. They're not sure, but that I need to go into a children's hospital in New York City where I would meet with high-risk prenatal doctors who would do another ultrasound and a further investigation. So we did that a few days later, and they confirmed that there was a blood clot inside of a cyst on the umbilical cord. And... Neither of the two doctors I met with had seen this before. They had seen a blood clot, they had seen a cyst, but they had not seen them together. And unfortunately, there was really not a lot of information because they didn't have statistics from previous cases. Um, We just knew it didn't sound good. But at that point, we were almost a little bit relieved because they said, look, this can keep going. and." We'll just watch it and we could take the baby out at 24 weeks and it will have, you know, a 45% chance of surviving. But if we can get there, we would take the baby out. But they didn't really know um, and they didn't really have anything to advise us with. They suggested that we meet with a genetic counselor to do an amniocentesis, um, which is basically where they stick a needle into the placenta. I believe, and pull out some of the amniotic fluid and they test that for any type of abnormalities or life-threatening conditions for the baby. And we went home really unsure, but not at all thinking that this was going to end in a termination. We were just saying, you know, we'll, we'll watch it and the pregnancy won't be easy because we'll be constantly worried and stressed that at any point this blood clot can cut off the supply to the baby, which would in fact kill him. 
But we went home and did some research and there was very, very limited information online. I I mean, I barely could find anything. There were a few scientific studies, but it, it was almost impossible to find a case that was similar to mine. And all we saw was there was a 0.0025% chance of getting just a blood clot alone on your umbilical cord, let alone a blood clot and a cyst. And that this cyst can lead to incredibly life-altering, life-threatening conditions for the baby. And it named all of these different diseases and abnormalities that honestly, I didn't even know what they were, but they almost all had a high mortality rate. And it was, you know, over 85% chance that a baby just with a cyst on the umbilical cord would have these. And this is a cyst and a blood clot. So then my husband and I started kind of playing out the scenarios We met with a genetic counselor who said, look, we can do an amniocentesis, but even if it comes back completely normal, there's a good chance that this isn't a genetic thing. It's more of a fluke thing and that there will be significant life-threatening abnormalities with the child. And of course, this is not something anybody wants to hear, um, especially after it had taken so long for us to get pregnant. We were over the moon. We were planning, we painted his room, we picked out his name, and we had to make a decision. Were we going to play it out and know that we would bring a baby into the world who would not have a great quality of life, would likely not survive very long, if at all, and wasn't set up for health and happiness. And that is just not something that we felt comfortable doing. We felt like we would be really selfish if we had the child, which of course we wanted. We wanted to be parents and we've already, we already loved the baby. We saw pictures of him and the sonograms and we saw him moving around and we were getting attached to him. But it almost wasn't even a decision after talking to doctors and genetic counselors that we knew the right thing to do, even though it was the hardest thing to do, was to terminate the pregnancy and not set our son up for a life that he wouldn't live long and wouldn't enjoy living. What goes on in your mind when you are having to make a decision like this? It's a cycle of emotions. I think at first it it didn't hit me. So I was very practical and very rational about, you know, right, this is what we need to do. This makes the most sense. Of course, we don't want to bring a baby into the world that will not be happy, will not be healthy, and will be suffering. And it hit my husband quicker than it hit me. And I was basically saying, you know, it's fine. You know, we'll be okay. This one didn't work. We'll try again. You know, we're doing what we need to do. And I think it was maybe two days later that it had hit me. And I just had an absolute emotional breakdown. And I admit I'm not that emotional of of a person normally. I tend to 
I don't know if hide my emotions is, a, is the right word, but I, I'm not a big crier. And I felt like I had 15 years worth of tears come out of me over a few day time period of just realizing everything I had hoped for and wished for and was excited about had come crashing down on me. And the timing at the time I believed sucked. I mean, there's never a good time for this. But my husband and I were getting married in two weeks. So honestly, one of the thoughts that went through my head was, I'm going to the alteration tomorrow. This was back in June, saying, I'm going to the tailor tomorrow to have my dress fit a pregnant belly. And now I have to go to the tailor and have her fit my dress to a pregnant belly that won't have a baby in it anymore. And that was really hard for me. Um, but it was really, it was really hard to walk into that part of my house where we had just painted a baby's room. I never, I don't really think I ever had a moment of, did I do something wrong? Because the doctors truly assured me that there was nothing I could have done to prevent this. There was nothing I could have done to make it better. But I did feel like my body failed. Yeah, I felt like incredibly defeated. I think I first felt like my body was failing me when I was going through the fertility treatments and they weren't working and we were trying month after month after month and I wasn't getting pregnant. And I was like, what is wrong? There's something wrong. My body is not doing what its its sole purpose is. And then I find out it does work. This is what I'm meant to do. This is who I'm meant to be. And then to have that just taken away from you in an instant. I mean, it happened so quickly. And I think that's also why I didn't really feel like I had time to process it. It just happened within a week. It was finding out about it and then having the procedure that it, it didn't hit me for a while that all of a sudden I, I'm waking up and I'm, I'm no longer pregnant and my body looks different, but I won't be meet, greeted with you know, a baby in a few months. And it was really defeating. And I felt really sad for the babe, my baby. I I felt so sad because I had seen him. I had seen pictures of him and I had seen him moving in there and there was life and I grew attached to him. I, you know, I, you could see the little profile in the sonogram. So I just felt, I felt more sad for him, even though I knew, I knew in my heart I was doing right by him, but I still felt really sad for him. All the circumstances the same. Was there anything that could have swayed you in the other direction? I think meeting with a genetics counselor, I was really hopeful that she would say something that would give us hope. And I think in that scenario, if she had said, let's do the amnio because this will give us a definitive answer. I would 100% have done that. Although I don't even know that it would have changed the outcome. I just felt like it was such a big risk that I couldn't take the chance knowing that I could be setting a life up for just pain and suffering. It really felt like the right decision that There's never a part of me that goes back and says, I shouldn't have done that. I know it's 
probably different for different people and depending on the stage that you're in, but what was your abortion process like? You know, they don't prepare you for these types of things. Fortunately, most people don't need to experience them. I had no idea what to expect. And I was so far along, I was 20 weeks, I was five months, that the quote-unquote easier options just weren't options anymore. So it was very traumatizing. It was a two-day process. The first day was the dilation process. And the first thing they do is they give you a pill to swallow that does something. I don't know exactly what it does, but it, it starts the terminating process. I didn't want to ask so many details as I was going through it. Um, it was just really a, an emotional day for me. So I was basically going through the motions. Um, luckily my husband was able to come into the room with me and was my absolute rock through this, but, um, the dilation process was absolutely traumatizing. They, you're laying on a, you know, a doctor's bed and they first insert a speculum, just as if you were getting a pap smear. And then it's not the same routine. Um, it's about 45 minutes of what I would call excruciating pain and torture as they insert these, they're about two inches long and pretty wide. Um, I don't know, maybe half an inch wide. I don't know. I'm not very good at (laughs) at measurements, but, um, they're not small. I will say that. And I think they're made of seaweed, I want to say. And basically, they help soften the cervix so that it makes the removal process easier. So it it helps you. It's dilation. And they have to put more and more in there so that you're dilated enough that they can actually perform the procedure. And (laughs) think about the, the hole it's going in is pretty small. Um, and they have to put five of these up there and it's far up. It's not like inserting a tampon. I'll say it is going very far up and it is so incredibly uncomfortable because it's a long period of time and it takes a while just to get them to put one in. I mean, it's like, it's, it's graphic, but they're pushing it. I mean, they are shoving it in there and it doesn't want to go. It's met with a lot of resistance. And just to get one in is really tough. And I remember it had been maybe 20 minutes and I was crying. I mean, crying in pain. And I remember the doctor saying, okay, the first one is in. And I was like, are you kidding me? The first one, she had to put five in. I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. I, I wanted to pause and say, get out, like, get out of that space. It's so uncomfortable. And you're not doing it for a good reason. It's not like you're going to be getting a reward after this. It's just, it's awful. So they insert five of them in there and then you're sent on your way um, with a few medications that you need to take you need to take an antibiotic immediately after that. 
And then the next day, you need to take some other pills. And then they gave me this medication that she said, put it in your cheeks and it will dissolve. And that basically prepares you for the procedure. And I didn't ask a lot of questions because I didn't really want to know the details. But what she didn't tell me was that that medication induces contractions and labor. So first of all, I walk out of there and I'm like waddling like a duck because I have these things shoved in me and it feels so uncomfortable. The only way I can describe the feeling, and of course, I don't know what this feels like, but I imagine it felt like a baby's head was crowning. And this is how I went home and had to sit with that overnight until the next day, until the day of the procedure, where I had to put these pills in my cheeks that induced these contractions that I was not aware were going to happen. So at this point, I started bleeding, um, which was really emotional for me um, to see physically the change happening was very, very hard for me. And, you know, that's it's not supposed to come out that way. And it was making everything very real. Because again, this happened so fast that I felt like I wasn't fully processing what was happening. Not in the sense that I wasn't making the right decision, but just that there was so much happening at once. And then I started having insane pain. And I was like, something is wrong. There's something wrong that's not supposed to be happening. And I started panicking and crying and freaking out that my husband started freaking out because he didn't know how to comfort me. Or if something was terribly wrong, he called the hospital and said, something is wrong. Something is wrong. We need to bring her in. She's having excruciating pain. And the doctor called us back and said, well, yeah, that's because the medication I gave you causes contractions. I was like, hmm, would have been helpful to have that piece of information beforehand. So that part of the experience, I was not thrilled with, um, just not being fully prepped for it. And then went into the hospital with contractions and obviously very painful. Many women can relate to that feeling. But most people go through that and then have a cute little baby on the other side. I just had to go through horrible, horrible, horrible pain, knowing that the pain would subside, but the baby would be gone. I um, opted to do a DNE. So I was given two options. I can either deliver the baby or I can go under anesthesia and have it removed through a DNE. I don't remember what it's saying. Something in evacuation. Um, I don't remember what the D is, but I opted for that one. It was too emotional for me. I didn't want to see the baby. I was trying to separate myself emotionally at that point. And I just, I knew that would be really, really, really hard for me. And so I went under anesthesia after hours and hours of contractions and because it was, it happened so quickly, I was basically put at the end of the line for the surgeon. I was put in as an emergency case. So I had to wait for the entire day until I can have the surgery. So I didn't get taken in until about 7 p.m. at night. After that, um, I woke up and I, I wasn't in any pain, zero pain, physically. 
of course. And I remember, you know, I recovered and then I was wheeled out to the car to meet my husband. And I was still a little drugged up and probably a little bit loopy. But I remember seeing him and being happy to see him. And I gave him a hug and said, it's over. You know, the the horrible, horrible nightmare is over. And my husband just completely broke down and hugged me and cried and cried and cried because he, he couldn't believe what I had to physically endure on top of the emotional heartache. Um, I think it was really hard for him to watch me go through that and know that he really couldn't help. And um, we were both, you know, in this emotional nightmare together, but I was dealing with the physical things that he just couldn't resolve. And he felt so bad. And I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then when I thought it was all over, I started lactating, uh, which I also did not expect. And that was really hard emotionally. My body was doing all the right things. My body was prepared to nourish my child. That was not there. And I couldn't pump or feed anything. So if I pumped, it would continue. I would continue lactating. So I had to let it dry up. And that was incredibly painful. Did not expect that either. But you're basically walking around with full bags of cement for a week and didn't feel great. (laughs) So it was overall the most traumatic painful, emotional experience of my life that I don't wish upon anyone. That is a lot. I've never actually talked to anyone who's had an abortion. So I had no idea what the process was like. That is a lot. Me either. I did not know either. And I don't even think I was, I don't think I was prepped correctly. One, because who preps for these things? And two, um, I don't think my my doctor correctly prepped me. I I actually felt judged by my doctor, which wasn't a good feeling when you're going into this. You know, you want to feel supported. It's the hardest decision, hopefully, I will ever make in my life. And once you make the decision, you just want it to all be over. And the first thing that this doctor who, she was a midwife, actually. And the first thing she said to me when she walked in the room before she did the dilation was, you know, this could be nothing. And she's not one of the doctors at all who had advised me on my diagnosis. Um, She wasn't part of the children's hospital. She was part of my local practice. And She's a midwife and not to take away from the midwife industry. I didn't feel like she had all the facts or the research or the background or experience to offer me that note that this could be nothing because the doctors, the high-risk doctors, the genetic counselors had all advised me of something else. And I just felt in that moment that she was very not in favor of my decision. And then to have to sit there after that and have her perform that procedure on me for the next 45 minutes, 
I felt like I was being punished by her. And that was really hard. And then she didn't prepare me that I was going to be going into labor, which I feel like is probably worth noting if you're about to send someone off into that and they're not expecting it, which, you know, obviously created a panic that wouldn't have ever felt good, but at least I would have expected. Yeah. Do you ever regret it? No, I really do not regret it. My husband and I were on the same page from day one, which I think also really helped. And even after the, afterwards, hearing from doctors, both my doctors and just doctors that I know who've weighed in on this and saying like, you 100% did the right thing. I've really gotten that support from my community. And I just would never want to bring somebody into this world who is set up for a short life, if any, of pain and suffering. It's just, to me, that is not the right thing to do as much as I would have wanted to hold my baby and love my baby for its whole life. It wasn't fair of me to do that to another human being. What you described is very traumatic. Did it cause you to have any additional mental health struggles? So I suffer from anxiety disorder. I have some history of depression as well. And this is certainly not good for your mental health. That being said, I actually feel really proud of myself for the way I've been able to handle this. I think it's come down to the amount of support that I've gotten, knowing that I don't feel that I, as though I've done anything wrong. I don't feel like you know, it was my fault at all. But it was hard for me. And it's been hard for me to see people with their new children. My best friend recently had had a baby. And it's hard for me to see her with him. And knowing, you know, that was supposed to be my baby's best friend, and they were only going to be six months apart, and they were going to be in the same grade, and we live close by. So it's, I get very frustrated that mine didn't work. Um, And I see all these people announcing their pregnancies and it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. And I think what makes it harder is not knowing if we're going to go through the same fertility struggles because, you know, we want to try again as soon as we can. And it's going to weigh a lot on me mentally and emotionally if we can't conceive quickly. Because I'm 35 years old, and I am what you would call a a geriatric pregnancy, which is the most unsexy term. And I want to have a baby. I'm supposed to have one in a month's time. And seeing people pushing strollers, seeing pictures of pregnant women, I go on Instagram and I'm fed all of these targeted posts because... I've been following that. And I, I was already following baby clothes companies. And it's a reminder every single day of the biggest trauma of my life, as if it's not already top of mind all day, every day. So yeah, it's, it's hard for me in terms of my mental health, but I do feel, I feel stronger now. I feel more resilient having gone through this, that in a way it's, 
it's balanced out my emotions that I've been able to stay strong and, and show my strength through this, that it's counteracting the negative mental health space, um, which I think is an interesting balance, but some days are worse than others. Some days are good days and some days are horrible days. And I think that's what it's going to be like. And when you first go through it, everyone is there calling you, sending you lovely messages or gifts, and then they're gone and they go on with their life and you're still dealing with trauma and grief and loss and sadness. And you don't want to bring that into other people's lives. You know, they've shown their care, they've comforted and they're moving on. And I don't want to be that burden to bring other people down because I'm still dealing with my own grief. So it can feel lonely at times. Um, but there's good days and there's bad days. Yeah. Cause this just happened months ago, right? Yep. It's exactly three months to the day. So as I was talking about before, this is a hot button issue and people are very polarized in their opinions on abortion. What is your message to people who would call you a murderer and say that abortion should be banned? You know, I posted my story on social media and the majority of the messages were incredibly kind and compassionate and supportive. I received my fair share of messages calling me a murderer, calling me disgusting, telling me that I'm not fit to ever be a mother. I should never have children. And I don't let those messages get to me because in my heart, I know that I did the right thing. But what I would say is you don't truly understand someone's circumstance until you experience it yourself. And everyone has every right to make the decision that they feel is best for their family. I've been getting messages from family members or mothers or parents of children with special needs telling me, you know, should I have murdered my child? And that's not how I look at it at all. Um, that is a living, breathing, beautiful child that exists. And no, they should not murder their child. But if I could protect somebody from a life of suffering and a life of pain, that's the option that I would choose. And you're welcome to choose what option you feel is best for you. That's what it comes down to when you're pro-choice, right? I am not against people having babies in any circumstance. But for my circumstance, this was what I felt was best for me. Ashley, thank you so much for being open and honest about your experience. That is a very tough situation to go through. And I hope that you do conceive and that you get to enjoy motherhood. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for listening, for inviting me here, and for letting my story be told. 
You're listening to You Talk, I'll Listen, hosted by Shannon Chapman. I listened, and here's what I heard. It's time for the mic drop, y'all. I gotta be honest. Ashley's abortion process sounds like a nightmare. I was horrified listening to her story. I have a hard time believing anyone just wants to go through this process. She basically went through the birthing process, but didn't come home with a beautiful baby to make it worth the pain at the end. The process is over physically, but the mental aspect of this decision will continue to affect her life. Little things like seeing her friends with their happy, healthy babies are constant reminders of what she experienced and that she technically should be having a baby next month. Part of the mental aspect of what Ashley went through is dealing with the grief from her loss. It's important to know that people deal with grief in different ways, whereas I probably would have been a hot mess and bawling through the whole interview. Ashley verbalized her thoughts and feelings without breaking down at all. I noticed that there were times when Ashley was actually laughing as she explained what happened to her. It reminded me of the saying, I'm laughing to keep myself from crying, which is a coping mechanism that I think helps her to be okay. She mentioned having some good days and some bad days, And we often don't think about the fact that this process continues for a long time. We are supportive after it happens, but then we move on with our lives, and the person who experienced the trauma can't. Most people probably think that people who have abortions don't want the baby, but Ashley and her husband don't fit that assumption. What they want most in this world right now is to have a baby. Ashley and her husband did not want to have an abortion. In their minds, they were trying to do the right thing by protecting their baby from a life of pain and suffering, which the specialist advised them would probably be the only life their baby may have known. Thinking about the situation from their perspective makes me think that a big part of the disagreement about Ashley's decision comes from people having two different ideas of what showing humanity looks like. Some people, like Ashley and her husband, believe that it would be inhumane to bring a child into the world to suffer, while others believe it would be inhumane to terminate a life in the womb. I think Ashley believes that whatever side you're on is fine, but you should have the opportunity to decide for yourself what to believe. Thanks so much for listening. I'd love for you to join me and a community of other listeners on our Facebook group called I Listen to You Talk. Share your thoughts about an episode or give suggestions for upcoming show topics. See you there. Grace and blessings.